We are in a series called Starting Strong, and what we're talking, it's for editing purposes, which I just ruined, uh, which is a, uh, we're talking about the book of Acts, and the first three weeks of this series, what we did was we tried to set some things up, because the book of Acts takes place in an entirely different context than we are in right now. It was a church, it was the church, but it didn't look like this. It didn't have rows and it didn't have a building. It was this organic movement that just sprung forth with community and the power of the Holy Spirit. Those are two common themes we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks as we go through this series, Community and the Power of the Holy Spirit. And so what we talked about for those three weeks was, the first week was community. What does it look like to be together? What does it look like to be involved in a community that uh, loves each other and takes care of each other and is invested in each other? What, What is that all about? And then the second week, we talked about Listening to God. What does it um, mean to listen to God? What, does, what role does the Holy Spirit uh, play? And then the third week, we talked about participation, that participation is better than observation. Uh, another way to say this, a pastor that I listen to a lot, he says, circles are better than rows. It's better to be uh, participating in, in what's going on. And so we talked about how could we participate. Maybe if you're, you're, you, you come to church here once a month, maybe for you participating is coming to, to another time a month or two times a month or whatever just to participate more. Maybe if, if that's not you and you want to volunteer for something, you can do that. And so that's what we talked about. This morning... We're going to actually get into the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1, and uh, through about 9, I think, and we'll be talking about um, what it means to be a witness, okay? Now, for some of you who have been Christians for a long time, right when I say witness, your stomach goes in knots, and you think about handing out tracts or going up to your boss. One time, I was convicted about... Uh, you know, I, I heard my pastor say, nobody ever, sh-, you know, you need to share your faith. You need to share your faith. And so I decided one day to share my faith with my boss. Okay, don't, don't do that unless you really feel God calling you to do it. Uh, so we go out to lunch and I'm sharing everything and I get to the end and I'm, I'm like, so is that something you'd like? He's like, no. I'm like, oh. Okay, it was very discouraging. We think about those types of things. It's nerve-wracking. But what does it mean to be a witness? Because we're going to see in a little bit, this is one of the key things to the growth of the church in the early church. When I was uh, about 23 years old, we lived in Lamita, and we had a neighbor across the street who um, had a, a giant flagpole in his, in his, uh, on his front lawn. And it had an American flag and a POW flag, which is fine. Um, and he would sit on his front porch and, and drink uh, all, all day. I think it was water, but I'm not sure. And, uh, and so one night, he comes out of his front door, and he gets into his, uh, uh, his lawn, and he just starts pumping the shotgun and shooting uh, uh, shots up in the air. And we live by an airport, and uh, that's frowned upon. I thought it was frowned upon just to do that anyway, but as it turns out, if you're by an airport, it's actually more serious. And so uh, I hear this, and I go to my, because I'm really smart, I go to my window uh, to see what was going on. I I wanted to see what was happening. And when I saw it was a guy with a shotgun, I I still wanted to see what was happening, so I pulled Lisa in front as a human shield (laughs) so that I could see, I could really get, no, I didn't. I, I, I hit the deck, and... And so we called the police, and they came out, and he was kind of staggering around. 
And then he ran off, and the police show up, and they're all over his house, and, but he's not there. He's, he went down the street, so I, I'm trying to get the police's attention without getting shot myself. And so I said, okay, can you identify him? And so they find him, and they bring him in the car, and they're shining their lights in his eyes so he can't see me. And I'm, I'm stoked. I, like, I, this is, I feel like I'm on a stakeout or something or a bust, okay? And so I feel part of the whole thing. And they say, is that him? I said, yeah, that's him. And they said, you know, good, you can identify him. And I'm like, great. I did my civic duty. I went inside. We go to bed. He's off. He goes away. And then I get a call from the district attorney who says, I need you to be a witness. Now it steps it up. I'm like, is he actually going to be there? Or can I like, like, you know, is he there while I'm witnessing? And uh, yes, he will be there. And so to make a long story short, uh, I I show up at the, at the, at the uh, uh, courthouse. Yep. Thank you. I don't need any help with the story. Okay. I I got, (laughs) I'll get to the words. Okay. Now, so I get to the courthouse and um, he's there and he has these beady little John Lennon sunglasses on. And he goes like this to me. We were, we were very close. And he goes like this. Right? And I said, you better look good in orange, buddy. <laughs> no, I didn't say that at all. I, I actually peed just a little bit. Uh, and uh, fortunately, the, the police were there and everything. And so I take the stand and I become a witness. I become a witness, and they start asking me all sorts of different questions about what I saw and what I uh, didn't see. They never asked me what I thought. They never asked me to convince the jury. They never asked me to come up with a speculation as to why this person may or may not be doing what he may or allegedly or may not have allegedly done. They didn't ask me anything. They wanted to know, what did I see and what did I hear? Anytime I veered off from that, uh, 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 back on the, I think he was drinking. Really? Okay, we don't want to know what you think, okay? What what did you see? What did you hear? Now, with that in mind, uh, I want you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1, or on your digital device, just type in A-C-T-S, and you will get to it uh, on the internet or on your Bible program. Acts chapter 1. Now what's happening is uh, Luke is the person who wrote uh, Acts. He's also the person that wrote Luke. And so Luke is like volume 1 of what he was writing down and Acts is like volume 2. And so when you first look at Acts chapter 1, you you have this weird introduction uh, that would be weird if you didn't know that. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So if you read Luke, um, Luke has this introduction again to Theophilus that talks about um, why he's doing what he's doing. There were some accounts that had um, been coming out about Jesus, and he wanted to write, and you'll read, read this in the very beginning of Luke, he wanted to write a careful description of what happened. He wanted to check his facts. He wanted to do uh, a good job of coming up with what did Jesus really say? What did Jesus really do? And so, um, and so this is his second book. He talks about the Holy Spirit begins to work through Jesus. He gives instructions of the apostles he had chosen. Now watch this. 
after his suffering, he presented himself to them. Now, this word presented is um, very important. It's not just he was present with them. Okay, it's not like Jesus showed up at a party and they're like, hey, Jesus, what's going on? He's like, oh, nothing, and he's just talking and walk, walking around. That, isn't, that doesn't give this word presented uh, very, uh, a very good um, uh, definition. I, I did a wedding yesterday, and, um, and you know, you guys have all been to a wedding. It was pretty much like any other wedding, although I didn't tell the bride and groom that. Uh, but... Uh, so, you know, down come the, the, the groomsmen and the bridesmaids and they come and they take their places and there's music and the parents come down and there's hugging and this, it's, it was very beautiful and, um, and, and just lots of emotion and it, and it was just a wonderful ceremony. And so, and, and everybody up there was important, every single person, you know, it was awesome. And then the music stops and there's this tension, there's this anticipation, and everybody stands up, and they turn around, and the music starts, and the doors open, and the bride is presented. That is the Greek word Jesus presented himself. He made careful, um, strong uh, presentations to that they would know that it was him that this was Jesus the one who had been betrayed who had been beaten who had been crucified and is now risen from the dead he presented himself to them it goes on to kind of give you a, 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 a another good uh, idea he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive I don't know what's more convincing than just being alive, but, but he, apparently this was hard for people to believe, and I get it. I would want to know, is this really, did Jesus have a twin brother? All, like, is this part of the whole shtick? Like, like there was somebody who was off, and so I don't know what he did. I, I could imagine Peter going, um, okay, if you're really Jesus, you know, what's my favorite food? You know, and Jesus is like, fish and pita bread. And he's like, oh, God, okay. Yeah, so anybody could have known that, you know. You know, when we were talking to the woman at the well, that Samaritan woman, and, you know, what, what, did, what did we say? And he's like, you weren't talking to her. I was. You went off to get something to eat. Okay, you know, many convincing proofs that they uh, would know that he was alive, that he had died, and he was raised from the dead. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Wow. Imagine what those 40 days were like to walk around with Jesus, the risen Jesus, Imagine what it would take for you to believe, finally, this is really him. This is really it. Now, you have to understand, we are sitting here right now because those people believed it was Jesus. Those people believed that he had risen from the dead. Let's think about this. It was over. It was over. 
Jesus was going around. He had a ministry. It was a great run. He healed some people. He raised some people from the dead. Blind eyes open. Lepers. Paralyzed people. It was, it was awesome. He fed 5,000 people in, in a day just from a few loaves and a few fishes. It was, it was awesome. But he had died and it was over. And there were plenty of quote-unquote messiahs who had gone through the very same thing. They should have just gone home and just started fishing again. As a matter of fact, that's what they did. They just figured... It's over. What what would it take to convince them that Jesus had risen from the dead and how powerful that would be? How much would that change your thinking about just what you're going to do with the rest of your life or what you're going to do for the next day? And so he, he is there for 40 days. On one occasion... While he was eating with them, and this is very important because Luke knows that a lot of the readers would be reading this and going, oh, okay, he was risen from the dead, but he's like a spirit body. And so uh, Luke talks about just the things he did. He ate. He ate something. He was eating with them. And he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. This is so beautiful. If you found out that Jesus was alive and you'd been around him and you'd probably want to do something, you'd probably want to figure out, well, what's our next step? You'd want to plan. You'd want to head out and start telling a whole bunch of people or having them come by and, and, and look at But this is what Jesus says. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. That, for me, that is very comforting. That means that Jesus is never going to ask me to do something that I have to do on my own strength. Isn't that cool? And I can tell you, every mistake I've made at, as a pastor, as a husband, as a this or a that, has been because I have ventured out of places I shouldn't have been and tried to do something on my own strength, either because of fear or either because God wasn't working fast enough and so I needed to kind of give him a little nudge and help him along or um, I, I was just prideful and I thought I could handle it on my own, but I'm just here to tell you God is never going to ask you to do something and assume you're going to do it on your own strength. He's always gonna say, as a matter of fact, I might even be so bold as to continue with what Jesus is saying is that we shouldn't, go out and venture out until we know that we are being empowered by his Holy Spirit. That there are sometimes to remain quiet. There's sometimes not to risk because we don't know if the Holy Spirit is guiding us or nudging us or empowering us. And so he says that, he says, uh, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my, that um, my Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is uh, promise. Don't go farther than you've been prepared to go, that I've, that I've empowered you to go. And then he talks about why. Well, John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, um, we're going to have a baptism class in a few weeks, and that just talks about baptism. And, uh, um, and then uh, if you look on your notes there, you'll see that we'll have a baptism Sunday. And that word baptism sounds very spiritual and very mystical, and, and there is definitely about the act the, um, of baptism. There is something very mystical and very spiritual about it. The word itself, though, just means to immerse, to immerse. 
okay? It means to dunk, essentially. As a matter of fact, even before the Bible used it as a word, you could find um, recipes that were written in Greek that would say, and then you have to, like if they're making pickles, you have to baptize the cucumber, okay? Like, you know, we would think, what? why would you baptize a cucumber? Like, uh, you know, and so, but for them, it was just meant to immerse. So let's read this again. For John immersed with water, but in a few days you will be immersed with the Holy Spirit. There will be something that happens. And for anyone who's taken that um, risk to become a follower of Jesus and you've given your life to him and you've prayed that prayer and you've invited him to be Lord and you've begun that journey, you have sensed that immersion with the Holy Spirit. And so he says, you know, this is what's going to happen. Just stay here a few days. So they gather around him, and they ask him, and this is so typical, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? All this, (laughs) and they're still thinking about their country. They still think that the kingdom of God is limited to borders. The kingdom of God is limited to a certain country or a certain process or a certain system. I'm here to tell you the kingdom of God is not limited to anything. And, and oftentimes I see, I see myself and the disciples constantly where I'm asking, Lord, is this the time you're going to do this for Living Spring? Is this the time you're going to do this for, for our denomination? Is this the time you're going to do this? I think Jesus has the same answer to me. Uh, is this the time you're going to do this for our country? Maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe this whole political thing has gotten you thinking about, you know, they, they would almost be like they're saying, uh, make Israel great again. You know, they're talking to Jesus and that, that was a bad joke. But my point is that that's what happens to us. We get focused on the different kingdoms of our lives and we think we want God to do something for us. God, is this when you're going to do that? And watch what Jesus says, because I think he says the same thing to us. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. God is going to do what God does when God wants to do what God does. You don't need to worry about that. And his very next phrase is this, but you (laughs) don't worry about God. Don't worry about what he's going to do, his timing, why you think he should be doing this or that. You don't need to worry about him. You need to worry about you. You need to worry about, is there anything holding you back from being immersed in the Holy Spirit? Is there anything holding you back from moving forward because you've been in this situation where you've relied on yourself so long, you don't even know what it would be like to rely on the Holy Spirit. You don't even know what it would be like to just be still and know that he is God. I, if, if that's you, I get you. I get you. I am exactly the same way. I would much rather be driving and doing and performing and going and going and going. Jesus is here to say, you need to worry about, are you being empowered by the Spirit of Almighty God? So he says, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. There will be something that you will be able to do that you could not do on your own strength. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, 
when I think about the power of the Holy Spirit and I look into the New Testament and things like that, I think of things like healings. Um, I think of things like um, uh, feeding f- the 5,000. I think of things like, um, uh, you know, um, raising people from the dead and all that. That sounds like the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see in just a little bit that um, there is going to be some of those things in the early church. There's going to be some wacky things. Like people are going to, like there's a couple people who like, they misrepresented themselves and they died. It's a great story. We'll get into that. And we'll also learn, I'll give you some tips on how not to die uh, in front of God. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, there is all that. And you'd think Jesus would mention all those things, that when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'd think that there would be some, some great things that, that you can do. And there is. In a little bit, we'll see that people start speaking in tongues, that they have this, this, this heavenly language that some people can understand. And I mean, it's just, it's, it is powerful stuff. Jesus doesn't talk about that. He doesn't talk about healings. He doesn't talk about raising people from the dead, feeding the 5,000. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. That the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be able to say what you've seen and what you've heard. And I think for a lot of us, the idea of being a witness feels like we're trying to convince people. My job on the stand was not to send that person to jail or to prison. Uh, by the way, he di- did get convicted, and then uh, he got out like six months later, and we moved, okay? So anyway, uh, that's, that's, that just ties that story up in a, a nice little bow. Um, but my job on the stand wasn't to convince the jury of anything. It wasn't to convince the judge of anything. Nobody wanted my opinion. I didn't turn to the judge and say, you know, I, I, if I might. <laughs> you know, like, like, they didn't want any of that. What did you see? What did you hear? I didn't have to come up with any reasons. The things I didn't see, I didn't make up that I saw. The things that I saw, I didn't embellish. No, I don't think I did embellish. I might have, maybe. I was 23, so I can't remember. Like, I, like, like, it is what it is. Those, those are the facts. And I think oftentimes when we talk about being a witness for Jesus, we're not really a witness for Jesus. We're just his witnesses. Like, we're just sharing what we've seen and what we've heard. We don't have to have all the answers. Oftentimes it feels like we have this feeling like we need to explain Jesus. We need to explain God. If God's all-powerful, why is there human suffering? And we think, well, that's because, you know, what happened? see, that there's the Old Testament, and that was an angry God, and then there's the New Testament, and he's a happy God. And, so, you know, and we're just like, how do you like this God? No? Hold on a second. How about this one? You know, here's a good Jesus for you. Do you like it? You know, like, why did Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Why is his way the only way? Oh, well, hold on. Um, I don't know. Maybe, you know, I don't know why. That's what Jesus said. I can only be a witness, not for Jesus, but a witness to Jesus, a witness of what I've seen and what I've heard. And so I can say, I don't know why there's evil in the world, but I know it deeply troubles the heart of God. I can say, I don't know why this horrible, horrible thing happened in your family or my family. I I, I don't know why, but I do know this. 
when things of that nature have happened to me and I've experienced those things, this is how Jesus has come alongside of me. Just what I've seen and what I've heard. We're not lawyers. We're not judges. We're not juries. We are witnesses. And so the exciting thing about this is maybe you're not a Christian at all. Maybe you're just brand new to all this stuff and you come into church and you just sense the presence of God and, 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 and we read the Bible and it like, it like resonates with you and then you go to work or you go back to your college dorm room or you go back to school or you go back to your family and they say, what are you doing at church? And there's, as your stomach begins to go into knots, like I don't have a really good reason. The power of the Holy Spirit just fills you and says, and you say, I don't really know. (laughs) And you're fine with that because you're just a witness. I just know, I hear this all the time, I just know when I go there, I feel something. I sense something. That's it. You were an excellent, excellent witness. I say, don't you have questions about the Bible? Yeah, I do have questions about the Bible. Excellent witness response. You're just talking about what you've seen and what you've heard. There's something else about this section of Scripture. Is he's not saying, um, and go try to be my witnesses. Or he wasn't saying, my command is that you witness. He says, you will be. (laughs) And if any of you have watched any of the uh, lawyer TV shows or you've been in court or whatever, There are good witnesses (laughs) and there are bad witnesses, but you will be a witness. You you will be an example of what took place, how God has changed your life. And so that's his promise to us. And now watch what he says. He says, not just Jerusalem, not just Judea and Samaria, not just the borders of Israel, but to the remotest parts of the earth. Every single human being on this planet deserves to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and it will be done by his witnesses. This is what happens afterwards. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Wouldn't that have been just absolutely wacky? I mean, he's sitting there talking or whatever, and he's just like, like, I don't know if he shot up like Superman, you know, like, like, it's just like the ground shakes, and it's just like, like a dust thing, and and he's gone, or if it was like a slow thing, Uh, I I don't know what that would look like, but here's here's the important thing, I, I don't say this to make fun of it, the reason we are sitting here is because that really happened. They were under tremendous, tremendous persecution, and they stuck firm. They, they, they saw things that we can't even begin to think about as far as what was happening in their families and people being dragged out and people uh, going. And as, as, the, as time went on, it wasn't just um, the, the uh, Pharisees that were doing all this kind of stuff. It spread to the Roman Empire. And uh, when Jonathan gets back from, he's in Rome right now, Pastor Jonathan's in Rome, uh, he's going to take some pictures of, of what it was like when uh, there actually was the Colosseum and all that kind of stuff was just going on. Christians were being decimated. 
But the reason we're here is because they stuck firm. And the reason they stuck firm is because Jesus came back and was with them for 40 days and convinced them and then shot up into heaven. (laughs) I don't know how it worked. And so what sounds like a great little story, in fact, is the truth. And we can walk forward in that same boldness. 